And that's where like the idea came from me. It's like, let's not focus on what we can't do. Let's focus on what we can do. And um, so we now train survivors to do crazy things like um, things that they're able-bodied and people without setbacks in their families would never imagine doing. Um, And we train them to do things like um, one of our adventures is to hike all the way across the Grand Canyon in one day. (laughs) (laughs) And back the next day. This is episode number 136 with Robin Benacasa. You're listening to American Snippets, the all-American podcast for those looking to dream bigger, live better, and make an impact. What is going on, America? Welcome back to another episode of American Snippets. Thank you so much for tuning in today. Once again, my name is Dave Brown. I'm here with my partner and co-host, Barbara Allen, and we have another incredible show for you here today, another extraordinary guest, and we can't wait to dive in into this interview and share uh, Robin Benacasa's story. Robin Benacasa is an expert on leadership and team building. Her expertise comes not as a result of classroom education or a lucrative corporate career, but through decades of extreme challenges and relying on teamwork. She was part of America's first all-female fire crew and has spent years battling blazes alongside a team. She's completed numerous adventure races around the world, from the jungles of Borneo to remote locations in Tibet. There are a few places Robin has not conquered. But just when she was at her peak, Robin collapsed in a race. A crushing diagnosis followed, effectively ending Robin's way of life. But rather than accept the diagnosis as an end to challenges, Robin accepted it as a new challenge. She went on to earn a new world record and launched a nonprofit to help other survivors of medical or emotional trauma make a comeback in life. Project Athena adopts Robin's expertise in endurance racing, teamwork, and resilience to guide others through their own challenges. So listen in as Robin shares her stories of training with Mark Burnett and former Navy SEALs, how being fired opened up opportunity for her, her lessons on teamwork, and how Project Athena provides opportunities for people to change their entire life trajectories. So without further ado, here is Barbara Allen with Robin Benacasa. You're listening to the American Snippets Podcast. Welcome back to another episode of American Snippets. I'm your co-host, Barb Allen. I get to sit down here today with Robin Benincasa and sit back and buckle up, everyone, as I read part of her bio, because if I read her entire bio, that bio that would take up pretty much the entire podcast episode... Robin is a 2014 CNN hero. She is a San Diego firefighter, 10-time Ironman finisher. She's a world champion adventure racer, three-time Guinness Endurance paddling world record holder, and most recently, or most proudly, the owner of two bionic hips, which has added a whole tweak to her story, sent her on another trajectory where she created the Project Athena Foundation, which is something I found and love dearly without ever even having experienced it. Just hearing about it and seeing it made me realize how special it and Robin both are. Robin's mission now is to inspire every survivor she encounters to realize it's not about the setback, it's about the comeback. And how she does that with her 501c3 is absolutely 
amazing. And I cannot wait to talk to her about it and share that with you all here. Robin, thank you so much for taking the time to sit down with us today. Yay, that was awesome. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you for that awesome intro. Oh, thank you. Um, It's not hard to do with someone like you. It's hard. It's harder really to figure out what, you know, to cut from your bio because I mean, I literally, I have pages here of notes, right? Because it's just fascinating. I just talk so into it. So let's get started. We're going to talk first and tell people where you are today, what you're doing today, and then take them back to, you know, the evolution of it all and the, the trajectory that led you to what you're doing and some really powerful, important lessons. And I want everybody who has So many people are going to relate to this story. It's anybody who's gone through something that you feel is just overwhelming and has caused you to change your whole course of your life. Maybe you felt overwhelmed by it. You didn't know how to get through it. Maybe you're dealing with that now. Maybe you see something coming down the road. You want to know how to prepare for it, a brace for it. Robin is going to tell you that story. If you've had to dig deep and you wanted to achieve something, people say you're crazy for wanting to do Robin has that story. If you want to hear from a real life person on the front lines of America as a firefighter, Robin has that story. So sit down. I dare anybody not to find something to relate in this. We're going to get to as much of that as we can and as many doses as we can right here. Robin, tell everybody what you're doing here today now in your world. Oh, gosh. Um, well, it's a it. Yeah, it's funny because there were so many things that led up to this moment where yeah. um, I'm actually doing a lot of keynote speaking. I'm still a full-time San Diego firefighter and I'm running the Project Athena Foundation and we put on six adventures a year for survivors as well as fundraisers. And uh, so pretty much, I suppose, if you sort of distill the essence of what I do down (laughs) into into one word, um, it would probably be that that I'm a team builder. Um, And that's what sort of every road in my life has ultimately led to is being a person that um, can help build truly world-class teams and get them inspired to reach any really difficult, challenging finish line. So that's kind of the, um, the lining that runs through everything I do. And um, it's, it's one of those things that all sort of happened, um, not, I don't, don't want to say by accident per se, but, but you know, but by, by lucky accident, sort of like following, um, following the vein of gold in yourself and saying, what do I love? What am I passionate about? What am I good at? And following those roads and, uh, and then having other people intervene along the way and take me with them, which is what I sort of hope to do for people now. Yeah, that is key. Right now you have, you had mentioned the project Athena organization, which takes survivors of physical or personal trauma, right? On, on these epic, insane adventures uh, that teach them how to dig deep and overcome and build teamwork and find all that in them. Is that an accurate representation of, of your, I know it's much more than that. Yeah. Well, yeah. It, 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 well, the whole idea for, for Project Athena came yeah. to me because after 17 years of adventure racing at a really high level, and we were, you know, multiple time world champions and, and my teammates and I, you know, really like battled through some of the craziest endurance challenges and the toughest races on earth for 17 years. And then I discovered I had end stage osteoarthritis in both my hips. And so suddenly I went from being this ultra endurance athlete that was racing multiple times a year to um, someone who they were like, yeah, you may not really be able to go back to work for several months. You'll never run again. You're probably never going to race again. And you know, to kind of like absorb all of that 
Um, but on the other hand, I pretty quickly realized, you know what, I'm actually pretty happy to have something that can actually be fixed because so many people don't. And so then I was like, you know, into each life, some rain is going to fall. And I was like, okay, well, I got an umbrella here. And, uh, and so that's what I decided I really wanted to do with other for other people is take my background and experience in adventure sports and how that really helps you rise and discover how amazing you are and build your character and build your connections to other people. And I wanted to help survivors of medical or traumatic setbacks live an adventurous dream, like cross a crazy challenging finish line as part of their recovery. Um, because it helped me so much to recover from my setback of my hips. That's how I became an ultra endurance kayaker. And, um, you know, and that's where like the idea came from me. It's like, let's not focus on what we can't do. Let's focus on what we can do. And, um, so we now train survivors to do crazy things like, um, things that they're able-bodied and people without setbacks in their families would never imagine doing. Um, and we train them to do things like, um, one of our adventures is to hike all the way across the Grand Canyon in one day. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> and back the next Love day. It. So we actually do rim, Love it. rim in two days. And then we do an adventure that, um, that we created that we call the Keys to Recovery, where we kayak and ride bikes from Key Largo to Key West, 120 miles over three days. Um, nice. And we do a 40-mile Zion Traverse, where we hike 40 miles you know, across the entire um, Zion National Park in two days. So there's these crazy endurance challenges that are doable um, for everybody. Um, we take fundraisers too, by the way. So our groups are about a third survivors and two thirds fundraisers. And um, it's it's really neat to to provide people with their big comeback party. And, you know, we always say you're never defined yeah. by your setback, you're defined by your comeback. So we provide them, you know, with this comeback. And um, yeah. that was kind of the neat thing that happened from, you know, a miniature setback I had, you know, having these crazy bionic hips, but, um, I'm just so glad it led me to, um, to project Athena. That I love everything you just said. We're going to circle back at the end and wrap it up with more project Athena stuff. Now that people have an idea little of what you're going and you've alluded to this several times, you just casually drop in words like, you know, champion and adventure traveler, but there is nothing casual about anything. (laughs) (laughs) that you have done in your past. Let's talk, um, explain what an adventure racer is. Let's start there. Okay. So it's a sport that, that was invented by a crazy Frenchman and, uh, and kind of spread throughout the world by Mark Burnett, who, whose name you might recognize from survivor, but this way back when he was a garage band and, um, he decided that he was going to, um, you know, kind of, taken off the, off the French race director that started the, the big race called the Raid Galois. Um, so the Raid Galois and the Eco Challenge, and then later the Primal Quest were the three biggest races. But in essence, they were all the same in that the format was pretty much the same. And that is that you have, um, you know, teams of men and women. You have to have mixed gender teams of four or five people, depending on the rules in the particular race. And the race director will ask you to meet them in the most remote place they can find on Earth like the middle of a, of a high plain in Tibet or, or the middle of the Borneo rainforest or like, just like like literally like we're we're racing going, has any human ever been here before? Like where we are, I mean, they can't get to it aside from like dropping people in from helicopters. And, you know, so it actually, in some races, they've had people jump out of planes to get to the start line because they can't get there. So super remote places. And then they uh, basically the day before they hand each team a set of maps 
and road rules. And you spend hours plotting your own course through usually about 600 to 1,000 miles was the format. And so you're, it's all map and compass work. No GPS, no outside tracking. Um, it's literally you looking at the map and compass and charting your course the entire way. Wow. And there's usually like between 10 and 30 checkpoints, depending on the race. And so that they know you're sort of generally heading the right direction, <laughs> um, you know, in case you get lost, and don't show up at a checkpoint, at least they know. So they have these places where you do need to check in. And then um, at some of the checkpoints, there are also transitions from sport to sport. So uh, we're doing like kayaking, mountain biking, whitewater rafting, mountaineering, um, all non-motorized transportation. And the couple interesting things about the race is that um, the clock never stops. So if you sleep and when you sleep is all part of your team strategy. Yeah. So, yeah, so it's crazy in that, you know, do you just race for three days until your brain explodes, but you have a lead and, or do you like sleep two hours a night and kind of keep your schnizzle together and, you know, so you can navigate and keep moving. Yeah. So that was a big part of the strategy. And then the other key part of the sport, which actually led me to my speaking career later by accident was um, the fact that if one person on your team quit your entire team was disqualified. Oof. So that, yeah. So that really led to a situation where it's like, whoa, you know, this isn't just about a bunch of individuals walking the same way. Like this yeah. is about a bunch of individuals caring about each other as much as they care about themselves. Or in some cases more in the moment, depending on what's going on. But if you lose one person, your entire team has to quit. So you not only have to take care of each other, but we were sort of the people in the sport that pioneered all of the human synergy um, that we created, where um, instead of just carrying our own backpacks, we we would split the weight equally or take a pack from whoever was struggling. Or like, we always tried to do what we called suffering equally. So mm-hmm. that like, if someone felt really good, we'd put more weight on them so that the other person could, could keep up. Yeah. Um, we invented O-lines on our team. Like we kind of, you know, changed the whole dynamic of the sport by by just treating all of our strength as, as something that was totally collective. And, and saying, okay, you know what? We're going to put you on the end of a tow line if you need it. We're going to, um, we, we took small dog leashes and used them to tow each other on mountain bikes. So that like those, those retractable Smart, yeah. dog leashes. Yeah. <laughs> and like, we were the people that were just like, you know what? Let, let's not wait for our slowest person. Let's just not have a slowest person. <laughs> I love just- that. Let's not wait for our slowest person. Let's just not have a slow. I love that. Love that. Love that. How did you time- meet your yeah. team? How, there were four or five of you on the team. Um, it depended on the rules, but the in rules? the okay. go challenge, like there were usually four in the raid, there were five, um, primal quest, okay. there were usually four, but, um, it, you know, interestingly, it's, um, it's kind of a political world in a way, like you sort of, everything is, are, yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah any, and anything I, I, you do has its own <laughs> inner politics. Yeah. Yeah. It kind of started out with like, he with the most gold makes the rules because, um, you know, whoever had a sponsor, in essence, you know, could recruit a great team. You right. know, the sport costs way, way, way more money to just even enter than you'd even win if you won. Really? So I think, oh, I think the most prize money we ever made, like when we won the world championships was $4,000 each. How much? $4,000 And how much did it cost you each to go? About like, seven or eight. <laughs> wow. And so did you, was this something like, were you able to make an income from sponsorship or w- did you just have to be in a position where you could just treat this like a, a, 
a passion or a hobby or something that you love to do, like a vac- you know, like people would budget for a vacation. Like, did you just have to like yeah. factor this into your budget or was yeah. it something you were able it. to, yeah. yeah, you were able to, yeah. If you, if you got enough sponsors, you could cover at least your costs. Yeah. Um, we were super lucky one year in that we each got like $10,000 to live on from, from a sponsor for, for a year. Um, but like, yeah, but we were some of the luckiest people in the sport. You de- you definitely did not do it to make any money. Like wow. <laughs> it was, you that's were, you freaking insane. Like, <laughs> let's go. Do, I mean, it's quite the adventure. I saw the one interview you did where you're talking about, um, being in the jungle in Borneo and contracted a disease and you had leeches falling on your face and your uh, body. And in, what the oh, hell, man? Like, <laughs> <laughs> okay. We came home Who with so many different parasites. Like I can't even tell you how many different parasites we came home with. Um, what? I think seven was the highest number of parasites that we came home with after our first trip to Borneo. Uh, second trip to Borneo was, um, leptospirosis. So that was fun. And the CDC like was following us for months and months. What is uh, leptospirosis? Let's talk about that for a second. So Virakeet bacteria, evidently. And, um, and you get it from animal urine. So I hear. Huh. And so in all of our whitewater swimming sections and things like that, you know, you have open what? cuts from, yeah. um, <laughs> from bashing through the rainforest and the leeches. Oh, yeah. And, you know, start whitewater swimming and Bob's your uncle. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, man. All right. So let's go back a little further now to Robin as a young girl growing up and how like your trajectory led that way. What were you like as a young child? What was your family life like? Where did you live? Oh my gosh. Um, well, I grew up on Long Island. All right. In- we're, yeah, in New- like- we're in New York. Yeah. Yay. Oh, cool. I didn't know that. Um, <laughs> Yeah, so Long Island, and um, and then we moved out to Arizona when I was uh, in in junior high, but uh, and I was there through college at ASU. But I um, I started doing gymnastics when I was when I was eight, I guess. Um, we found a, a flyer on my front lawn, and I just I just fell in love with gymnastics, and pretty much from there on, like I was a pretty I was a kid that kind of stuck to myself because I had too so much to do. <laughs> like, like yeah. I was like I wanted to get straight A's and I, I was doing my sport four hours a night, doing my homework, you know, the minute I got home from school, right before practice and then gymnastics would end at nine o'clock and, you know, you have to go to bed and start all over. So, yeah. uh, you know, I kept to myself a lot. And then uh, high school was um, gymnastics, diving and track, um, doing three sports. And then when I graduated high school, I went to Arizona State and I was a springboard diver there. So after I graduated uh, ASU, my first job. Was, what was your degree in? Uh, marketing. Okay. Yeah. So I went from from ASU. I ended up getting my first big job in um, hospital supply sales, and my territory was out in San Diego, uh, which was cool because that's where my dad was. But you know, I was kind of having that moment where it's like, well, what do I do now? Like I'd only done you know organized school sports, and you know, and so I was like, what do I, you know, what's my next sport? What's my next thing? And of course, when you live in in the San Diego area, what you see on the weekends is an endless parade up and down the coast of people riding their bikes, running, swimming, you know, whatever, you know, it's literally an endless parade. And so one day I was looking out my window, I was like, I don't know what those people are doing. And so, <laughs> so I walked into the local triathlon store, like, 
like the goober I am. And I walked in with my, with my $100 Schwinn that I got when I was in high school. And I walked up to the counter and I said to the owner of the store, like, I want to do an Ironman. What do I have to do? And how old were you roughly then? 20, 20. Yeah. Okay. 20. And, uh, and he, uh, he, his first words to me, and he became one of my best friends and my coach, but it's, we laugh because his first words to me were nice kickstand. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I like kickstands. <laughs> my mountain bike doesn't have one. I'm like, man, I need a kickstand on this. <laughs> first of all, I like, okay, get a new bike. <laughs> so, anyway, so, so we started training together. Like literally, he just said, look, we're, we're swimming a mile in the morning. And then we're going for a five mile run. Then we're going to get pancakes. It's like, if you want to, if you want to come show up and there I was, you know, like I was just suddenly in the club, you know, like, cause he was the, he owned the local triathlon store and okay. um, he became one of my best friends, my coach. We did years and years of Ironmans together. Um, got to the Kona four times, which is really cool. And, um, and, you know, I, I was a good, a decent age group triathlete. I, I never made pro. Um, well, because I was a crap swimmer, <laughs> I'm more of a sinker. <laughs> and, but um, so after that, you know, I, I realized that the longer and harder the race was, the longer and harder the Ironman was, um, the better I did in the standings. Like if it was super hot, or if it was super hilly, or super crappy out, or really wavy in the swim, or like the worse the conditions were, the better I did, <laughs> like comparatively. Yeah. So I was like, you know what? I need something like longer and harder and stupider. And like, <laughs> so it just so happened that, that the first American team had done a big adventure race. There was only one in the world at that point, the one that was invented by, by Gerard Fusil, who's the crazy okay. French guy. And so one American team, the first American team ever had done the raid Galois, which was kind of a big deal. And it was either in Sports Illustrated or something like that. They did a story. And so I read the story and I just had one of those like, oh, you know, there's epiphany moments where like, this is my sport. Like, this is the stupidest thing I've ever heard of. This must be my sport. <laughs> <laughs> and so there I was, like, I, I ended up at Mark Burnett's house doing a tryout to be on the, on the next, you know, the, his next year's team with 14 other women from all over the country. And, and yeah, it was just, just so cool. How did you, how did you go from hearing about it to being in Mark Burnett's house? You don't just so, end up like, oh, hey, that looks like a good idea. And suddenly there you are in Mark Burnett's house. Like that it was another, had to it happen. It was another lucky thing. Yeah. Like, like, there's so many lucky things that have yeah. happened in my life. Um, there, I happened to be going to a gym where one of the Navy SEALs that was going to be on that team the following year, uh, where he worked out. And we started talking one day and he was just like, hey, we're actually looking for the woman to be on our team next year. You know, when we, when we go to Borneo and there's actually a tryout in a couple of months, I got to introduce you to this guy, you know, like he, that's the captain of our team. And so I was one of the first people in the pool, you know, to, for this tryout. And it was sort of an invitational. They only invited 14 women that they sort of like handpicked from across the country that were like either top Ironman athletes or top mountain bikers or whatever. But yeah, I was just like lucky enough to, to be in that group. And basically the Navy SEALs put us through a, a three-day hell week simulation where we just 
nonstop for three days, just hiked, paddled, rode our bikes, like all day, all night, all day, all night. Um, they just wanted to see if we could handle it, you know, what, yeah. what would happen. And there were, uh, there were seven of us left at the end. And wow. so, so half quit and the other seven left at the end. And, but we were all hooked. Like it was pretty cool. They, uh, the long story short, they, they picked another girl for that team with the Navy SEALs and Mark Burnett. And then the five of us that were left over, the five of us that were left over formed our own team of awesome. all women wow. and went to Borneo Rainforest anyway. And we actually, you know, we were, we were the only two American teams, but, um, you know, of course we ended up being competitors and, uh, and, and yada, yada, yada. Um, they had some, some health issues. The, the Navy SEALs team did, and they didn't finish the race. Oh, and, what a twist of fate there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And our team did, we were dead last, but, but, but we finished and it was yeah. the coolest, you know, is a really, really neat thing, except for all of the media articles that kind of embarrassed us totally at the time, which is like all these magazine articles saying, you know, all female team beats us Navy seals in toughest race on earth. And we're just like, Oh, oh no, that's not a way to make any friends no, in the community no, and not. your colleagues. And then it comes off like you guys are like both. Yeah. And ungracious and exactly. Yeah. We wanted nothing to do with that. Like we saw them as like our brother team, yeah. you know, but once the media got a hold of it, you know, I mean, you know. it is a good, it is a good <laughs> clickbait. So were you able to like reconnect with those guys and make it all cool again? Or did you just, they were not happy with us. That was it that they were done with you. <laughs> yeah. We, I mean, we, we had nothing to do with any of the media, yeah. I think they, you know, of course they felt awful, you know, they felt weird yeah. about it. And yeah. so I, it was just easier for them to just kind of, you know, we were not like, big time friends before it, right. you know, they, they were the guys that put us through this hell week. And so like we right. had that relationship with them, but, um, but yeah, like they, we, we never really like came together as, as friends oh, after yeah. it. Just so Mark, Mark Burnett isn't answering your calls. You should apply for survivor now. Oh no. <laughs> That'd be it. great. It's like I, the anti-adventure racing. It's literally the antithesis <laughs> of adventure racing. Yes, yeah. but you would be the only one there who viewed it like that, you know? I mean, like, if it was like a real game, it was a real like game of who could survive and not the politics of who's going to backstab who, then right. me. Right. But yeah. Hysterical, hysterical. Okay. So at what point does firefighting come into your story? Ah, uh, okay. So <laughs> um, we haven't got there yet. All right. So I sold pharmaceuticals for a while. Uh, I mean, a hospital supply, then pharmaceuticals. And then one of the best things happened to me, which was I got fired, which was awesome. Um, <laughs> Why were you fired? <laughs> you know, I still to this day don't really quite know, aside from I had a district manager who didn't like my racing. And so I had enough vacation time to go on a race. And I went, I went to an Ironman in Canada. And when I came back, he had found enough like late, um, late expense reports, like real, a really nitpicky thing okay. uh, to say, well, we have a problem with you and you know, these expense reports were late. And I, I was the rookie of the year. Like I was one of the number one sales <laughs> people in the company. And I, I mean, it was just like a personal, yeah. Thing, yeah. personal thing. Just he didn't like my racing. 
And so he just called you into the office one day and he was like, see ya. Yeah. I thought I was getting a raise. Oh, oh, I have a friend who had the same thing. She thought that was happening. Then they fired her. Then she bought the company that fired her. Yes. <laughs> That's great. Yeah, I, I love those I stories. Rookie, you know, because I had done so yeah. well you know, in field sales and I was rookie of the year and blah, blah, blah. And, um, and there was just this random woman sitting in the office and I was like, Oh, hello. And I thought she was there to give me, you know, my, my check. Like, I don't know what they're like, yeah. nice lady. And, uh, and she's like, I'll be escorting you out of the building. <laughs> <laughs> Whoopsie surprise. And I got, I got, I decided to, to fight them because they really had no grounds, like no real yeah. ground ended up getting like nine months of severance pay, which was killer. Nice. And yeah, it was awesome. But I'm driving away you know, from the corporate headquarters, like literally going, Oh my God, what do I do now? now? And so I called my uh, boyfriend at the time and I was like, Hey, when are you taking that? You're taking this fire department test or something soon, aren't you? He's like, he's like, yeah, it's in six weeks. And I was like, how do I sign up? (laughs) (laughs) That is hilarious. Yeah. And then they had a firing freeze for three years. So even though I, I got the job, um, I had to spend three years like doing odd random things. Like I was a substitute teacher, you know, and I was, uh, I had like a small contract with Mountain Dew, you know, as an adventure athlete. And oh my God, just, did your boyfriend oh. also get the job? No, no, you didn't. <laughs> <laughs> no, oh no. It was, it was oh so- my God. So what happened to, <laughs> what but happened my to that relationship? Oh, okay. All right. All right. This is hilarious. We could go on for hours there. I need to, this is great. Love it. Love it. So now you're a firefighter. Eventually you spent three years doing what you have to do and then you get called up and you're a firefighter. Had you met your boyfriend at that point or did you meet him when you got? No, I met him in the fire academy. Okay. Okay. All right. That's fun. uh, Yeah. And we had, um, we had a uh, completely disallowed fire academy love. Oh yeah, go figure. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. We weren't. We were not supposed to be fraternizing in in any way. But and and we and we didn't yeah. at that point. But we knew we liked each other. It was pretty cute. We had fire academy love. All and right. we're still together. Yeah, you're, you're still together. All right. All right. I'm very <laughs> glad, glad to hear that. I could go on and on, but we have to like get to get to your organization, get to Project Athena, what you're doing now, some lessons you have for people before we're going to have to like wrap this up. Uh, we're going to have to have you back for like, I don't know, maybe 56 other podcast episodes to get your, <laughs> to get your story. Um, so now you're doing, you're a firefighter, you have a relationship, you're doing this adventure racing, you've done how many years of adventure racing and all of a sudden at the tail end of one race, you have a moment that changes everything. What happened? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, we were at the in the World Championships in Scotland, and um, about three days into it, all of a sudden, my my left leg wouldn't move forward anymore. Like it just like I completely lost the power to move forward. Yeah. And I thought I had like pulled a you know pulled a hip flexor or something like that, and so I had to like pull my leg forward with my hand for the whole rest of the race. My team had to take my pack, put me on toe. I had my leg on a string, like, like physically pulling it forward. And we had to climb Ben Nevis in the middle of this thing. And my teammates, bless their hearts. Like they 
short of actually carrying me, you know, like, cause I had no strength in it, no power in it. And, yeah. But you know, we, we came there to win. We ended up fifth, which is still pretty good, but I was a total train wreck. Um, you know, at the, at the end of it, like I couldn't walk like at yeah, all. You're done. That was it. Yeah. And so someone's like, you better go get an x-ray. I'm like, Oh, my hip flexor will heal. And they're like, no, you better get an x-ray. And literally my first x-ray, um, first time I'd ever been to an orthopedic specialist in my mm-hmm. life, he just like pops the x-ray up and, and says, see right here, see where this, like, there's supposed to be a space right here between like this ball and your hip. And, and there was like literally not any space, like some yeah. little like black dots that showed where space used to be. Yeah. But like I was completely bone on bone, you know, no more cartilage. And I, you know, I just didn't want to believe it. You know, of course, as you're an athlete, you're like, oh, whatever, I'll just, I'm going to push through this. And yeah. I said, just give me some like big ibuprofens or whatever you got. Yeah. Maybe I'll see you in a couple of years. And, and as I was going out the door, he said, I'll see you in a couple of weeks. <laughs> Oof. And he was right. And I was wrong. <laughs> so that led you into four hip replacements over the years. Yeah, and you now. had two by bi- six hip replacements, two bionic hips. And instead of giving up on all sorts of adventure and activities and sports at all, you just switched courses, became a world record holder in another discipline, came a professional speaker to teach people <laughs> the lessons you've learned, and now started a nonprofit to use all of those skills together to help other women who've gone through the, these things find their path use, using the same techniques that helped you do so much. Where like That's yeah. incredible. Like A well, lot of it- people would just be like, well okay, I guess I should, like, I don't know. You could either be like super bummed about what you can't do. Right. Or you can say, what can I do? (laughs) I mean, it seemed like, you know, it does suck for a little while, you know, but you can't live there, you know, like you got to move on to like, okay, well, well, what can I do? And the thing I knew I could do, regardless of what, what stage of hip replacement I was in or not in, or what stage of brokenness and over, over like this eight year period um, you know, I was like, one thing I can do is even if I have to crutch down to my boat, I can crutch down to my boat and sit in it, you know, yeah. like, you know, there's nothing wrong with anywhere from my hips up. So what do I, you know, what am I going to do? I'm going to paddle. That's so great. I started like decided, you know, I'm going to do these super long nonstop paddling races. Cause I already loved the paddling races in an adventure race. So I had some background and experience, but what I didn't know was, cause we were always in double kayaks and adventure racing for the most part, not always, but so I didn't know, like, cause we were always one of the faster paddlers in these races. Like we always either kept our lead or, or took a lead, like in these big, long paddling sections. Yeah. But I was like, okay, is it the guy behind me? That's really good at this. Or, or am I providing some motor? Like I didn't know the ratio. Like I didn't know whether he right. was just good and I was just in the boat or, you know, whether part of it was me. So. I decided like, I was like, okay, I'm going to find out, you know? So, um, I set out to, uh, to break the Guinness world record for longest distance paddle by yeah, a female. Why not? Yeah. yeah Go ahead. <laughs> and, uh, so that was pretty cool. I went to the Yukon river and, um, and paddled for 24 hours down the Yukon and, and, uh, and I broke that record. And last time I checked my record still stood. So that was, that's pretty cool. And then, um, and then I decided to enter my first big race. And the longest nonstop paddling race in the U.S. Yeah. is this awesome race. It's called the Missouri River 340. It's a 340-mile nonstop paddle from Kansas City to St. Charles. 
And it's awesome. It's the I bet it is. Yeah. It, I mean, it's really cool, but it's the, the neat part of it. The intriguing part of it is the yeah. nonstop part of it. Cause then that brings me like back into adventure racer mode, like how yeah. far do you go or not go or sleep or not sleep. And, and so I, I realized early on that the winners were just blowing through the whole thing. So in my first one, I was like, I'm just paddling through the whole thing. And so I did, I never got out of the boat, you know, and to this day, I still don't get out of the boat when I do it. Um, you know, you just, you have like five or six pit stops where your crew throws more food at you or throws more water at you. And, and if you're doing yeah. it right you're there for like a minute or less, and then you, you know, and then you keep going. That's how and I do road trips. Yeah. Like, we got 90 <laughs> seconds out in boom. Like, God, like literally we need gas. If you can pee by the time I gas up, Great. If not, you better hurry up and catch up because I'm going to be down that interstate. Like that. People hey, hate road like, tripping with me. <laughs> you're an adventure racer in your brain. Yeah, in my brain, I am. Yeah, that's great. Let's, before we're like completely out of time, let's talk about Project Athena, please, because this is so important. Not like the rest of it isn't important. Um, and we're going to like make sure that we mention how people can get in touch with you um, to find out what you speak on and how to bring you to their organizations, their corporate, whatever it is, because you have powerful messages to teach about leadership and teamwork. And obviously anybody listening is going to understand your experience. Like just imagine the lessons learned. Nothing is a better educator than experience and you have it, you know, in spades, but I don't want to run out of time before we get to talk about project Athena. So talk about, you have a trip coming up for instance, let's use that. Yeah. Uh, we got a bunch. Um, our yeah. next trip is we call it Harbor to Harbor. And it's a 50-mile hike from San Diego Harbor to Oceanside Harbor, all the way up the coast to San Diego. And then in July, we're doing our Zion Traverse, 40 miles across the entire park in two days. And in August, we're doing our Rim to Rim to Rim in the Grand Canyon. So all the way over and all back in two days. And then um, September, we're doing another Zion. We, we sold out of our first Zion, so we just opened up a second one. So there's like Love five it. or six left in that. How do you then, sell out of the Zion? How do you, because you well, have, we, we, only, we keep small yeah. groups because yeah. the way that we travel is everybody travels together, like one big team. Okay. So we literally have like, you know, 20, 20 to 40 people on each adventure. And we, we travel with one of my people in the front. We call ourselves trail angels. The people that wear <laughs> these blue shirts are their trail angels. And, uh, and we have one in the front, a couple in the middle, one in the back who we call the reaper. You I saw that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> And uh, he's the best ranger winner. He's like a total awesome, like one of the best people on earth. And, uh, and anyway, so we all stay between, you know, Amanda and the Reaper and, and we take care of each other like one big team. Yeah. So we don't want to have a hundred people where we can't create that kind of bond. Right. Um, discovered that at about 40 people is everyone feels like family at the end. Everyone's touched the life of somebody else. Everyone's talked to each other. Everyone shared their life story with each other and their problems and their you know, we call it Grand Canyon therapy. You know, everyone's like working it's on the best. Little, yeah. yeah, everything yeah. in their life, they work out together. So that's part of it. The other part is that, you know, permitting issues. But we find that we like to keep groups 40, kind of 40 or less. So we create a family. Yeah, that's and, navigable. Um, yeah. So who yeah. these groups consist of people, women who come at, at no cost because they meet these criteria yeah. and then sponsors who donate or raise money to fund this adventure and they get to, as part of their package, their sponsorship package, they get to participate in the adventure. Yeah. yeah. See, cool. They get to a certain level of fundraising, um, which right now is only 3,500 for our adventures. It's not huh. crazy. 
not yeah. like a twenty thousand dollar fund. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so that covers your expenses as well as covers a part of the expenses for our Athenas, okay. for our survivors. So each group kind of averages around a third survivors and two thirds fundraisers, and awesome. that's how each pays for itself. And we not only cover, um, you know, the survivors' adventure. We cover uh, five months of training before the adventure. Oh my gosh! Uh, which is which is what actually our fundraisers get too. Yeah. Wow. That's cool. Is our that's fundraisers pretty cool. Pay- online training plan is our survivors. So, you know, and our whole package of how to, like, it's like an instant, how to become an endurance athlete package, um, from what to wear, what to eat, how to think, you know, like everything, like that's awesome. Ever learned in the last 30 years of racing, all of us collectively, you learn it in one training, you know, one five month long training. If someone, if someone was to hire a professional coach to learn and do all that, it would be big bucks. Mm-hmm. And big time and big, I want everyone to stop and think about there from anybody who's even forayed a little bit into the world of like getting professional mentors or coaches knows that at that level of skill and experience and professionalism, that would cost more than the average person could afford. And probably people who are coming out the other side of trauma, physical or mental or emotional trauma and tragedy I know that for a fact, like, you you know, you're not necessarily in the best financial place, whether it's recent or later down the road. So the fact that you are offering that to these women at no cost, I imagine that can literally be a catalyst for them to flip their entire trajectory of life or not to do it for them, not to go to Mm -hmm. a spa and meditate, which is great and all that, but like to really teach them to dig deep and to flip around all that pain and give it a purpose and channel it and harness it for greater good. Like that's massive. That's massive. The neat thing too, is that a lot of the fundraisers who we call our gods and goddesses, a lot of the gods and goddesses, they come thinking that they're going to help the survivors. Oh, I bet. (laughs) So badass because they're so ready for their big comeback. You know, they've trained their butt off like they're doing this thing like this is their big comeback party yeah and neat because you know i'd say gosh at least half the time our survivors are carrying the extra weight or towing the fundraisers i love it which is so love it love it love it so robin come back too i bet i yeah helping uh, when you realize that you have value to offer when you feel like you got nothing left and all of a sudden you're like oh my gosh i have value like I have mm-hmm. the power to impact with what, like, that's a game changer game, to mm-hmm. stop viewing yourself as like that victim and that useless, worthless piece of thing and realize that you have value is huge, yeah. huge in turning your world around. Yeah. I mean, and people it, literally go home a different person. Yeah. Like, not just the yep. Athena. We also take male survivors too now. Uh, we call them Zeus instead of Athena. Love it. Uh, <laughs> but they go home and they, they literally are different people. I bet. And, and one of the like tiny neat stories about that that happened was we had a, a breast cancer survivor that came on our on our Florida Keys trip, and on the way to the airport, all of her kids were carrying her luggage, carrying her backpacks, putting them on the putting them on the scale, you know, yeah, her yeah, yeah. She got home, you know, they had followed her journey. She got home, and and she said that my favorite part of the whole thing, I loved the adventure, but one of my favorite parts yeah. of the whole thing was when my luggage came out on the belt. And none of my kids moved. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. I love that. Love that. 
Robin, if somebody wants to connect with you to find out about how to bring you to their event to speak, how to find out about the book you wrote, how to find out more about Project Athena or anything else that you are involved in, whether they want to be a sponsor, a god or a goddess or Zeus or Athena or just follow you and spread the word, how can they do that? Um, so you can find everything um, at worldclassteams.com, which is my website or my name.com goes to the same place. So worldclassteams.com or robinbenincasa.com. And then uh, Project Athena directly is projectathena.org. All right, great. Man, thank you. I cannot believe, for me this time just whizzed by and I feel like I didn't get to touch on just like all of that (laughs) stuff that we wanted to touch on. But I mean, really, there's so much about you and that, that course of your life and the trajectory and the lessons you learn and the attitude and the mindset that you bring to everything you do and just the energy that you bring, phenomenal. I cannot wait to follow up with you and see all these things that, that you continue to do. I can't wait to spread the word about Project Athena. You know, I'm a military widow. Lord knows we could have used a Project Athena <laughs> in our world. I could have used a Project Athena probably yeah. now, probably still now, right? But definitely... If I'd had that, you know, a little bit of time ago, it would have helped me avoid a different kind of pain. But yeah, um, yeah definitely in the military widow community, I will be spreading the word too and um, see what I can do to connect you with people who want to get behind you and support you wow. as well. That would be really cool. I uh, mean, talk about a great comeback from that. Yeah, yeah that would be but great. So, yeah. so you're not done with me yet, Robin Benincasa. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> All right. Thank you again so much for taking the time to sit down with us. Yay. Thanks. And thanks to everybody who listened. This has been fun. All right. There you have it, everyone. That wraps up another episode of American Snippets. Thank you so much for tuning in today. I'd like to personally thank Robin Benacasa for being here as well and sharing her story. If you got any value out of today's episode, please leave us a five-star review on iTunes. iTunes reviews go a really long way in helping us get these stories out there. Don't forget to follow us on social media, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube, at American Snippets. We publish uh, a lot of content on our YouTube channel that we don't necessarily publish here on our audio program, uh, including the full video interviews as well. Don't forget to visit americansnippets.com. Check out the featured article of the week because each week we do a full write-up story on our guests. You can watch and re-listen to this podcast. Uh, and we also include some social media links there as well that you can use to learn more about Robin Benacasa. Again, we appreciate you being here today. Please leave us a five-star review. Now go out there and show the world how exceptional you truly are. We'll see you next week. <music>